0: chapter 5 of marie antoinette and her son this is a libriVox recording all libriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by maggie travers marie antoinette and her son by louise maubac chapter 5 enemies and friends all paris was in an uproar and in motion in all the streets the people assembled in immense masses at all the squares and listened with abated breath to the speakers who had taken their stand amid the groups and who were confirming the astonished hearers respecting the great news of the day. The Lord Cardinal de Rohan, Drake Almoner of the King, cried a Franciscan monk who had taken his station upon a curbstone at the corner of the Tuileries and the great palais de. Carousel, cardinal de rohan has in a despotic manner been deprived of his rights and his freedom as a dignitary of the church he is not under the ordinary jurisdiction and only the pope is the rightful lord of a cardinal only before the holy father can an accusation be brought against a servant of the church for it has been the law of the church for centuries that it alone has the power to punish and accuse its servants and no one has ever attempted to challenge that power but do you know what has taken place? Cardinal de Rohan has been withdrawn from the jurisdiction of his rightful judges. He has been denied an ecclesiastical tribunal, and he is to be tried before Parliament as if he were an ordinary servant of the king. Secular judges are going to sit in judgment upon this great church dignitary and to charge him with a crime when no crime has been committed. For what has he done, the grand Almoner of France, cardinal and cousin of the king a lady whom he believed to be in the queen's confidence had told him that the queen wanted to procure a set of jewels which she was unfortunately not able to buy because her coffers as a natural result of her well-known extravagance were empty the lady indicated to the lord cardinal that the queen would be delighted if he would advance a sum sufficient to buy the jewels with and in his name she would cause the costly fabric to be purchased the cardinal all the while a devoted and true servant of the king hastened to gratify the desire of the queen he took this course with wise precaution in order that the queen whose violence is well known should not apply to any other member of the court and still further compromise the royal honor and say yourselves my noble friends was it not much better that it should be the lord cardinal who should lend money to the queen than lord Lausanne? Count Cogne, or the musical Count Vaudreuil, the special favorite of the Queen? Was it not better for him to make this sacrifice and do the Queen this great favor? Certainly it was better, cried the mob. The Lord Cardinal is a noble man. Long live Cardinal de Rohan. Perish the Austrian, perish the jeweled Queen, cried the cobbler Simon, who was standing amid the crowd, and a hundred voices muttered after him, perish the austrian listen my dear people of paris you good-natured lambs whose wool is plucked off that the austrian woman may have a softer bed cried a shrieking voice hear what has occurred to-day i can tell you accurately for i have just come from parliament and a good friend of mine has copied for me the address with which the king is going to open the session to-day read it to us cried the crowd "'Keep quiet there. Keep still there. We want to hear the address. Read it to us.' "'I will do it gladly, but you will not be able to understand me,' shrieked the voice. "'I am only little in comparison with you, as everyone is little who opposes himself to the highest majesty of the earth, the people.' "'Hear that?' cried one of those who stood nearest to those a little farther away. "'Hear that?' He calls us majesties. He seems to be an excellent gentleman, and he does not look down upon us. Did you ever hear of a wise man looking down upon the prince royal, who is young, fair, and strong? asked the barking voice. He is right. We cannot understand him, cried those who stood farthest away, pressing forward. What did he say? He must repeat his words. Lift him up so that we all may hear him a broad-shouldered gigantic citizen in good clothing and with an open-spirited countenance and a bold defiant bearing pressed through the crowd to the neighborhood of the speaker come little man cried he i will raise you up on my shoulder and but see it is our friend marat the little man but the great doctor and you truly you are my friend santeri the great man and the greatest of doctors for the beer which you get from his brewery is a better medicine for the people than all my electuaries can be and you my worthy friend of the hope pope will you condescend to take the ugly monkey marat on your shoulders that he may tell the people the great news of the day instead of answering the brewer centurine seized the little crooked man by both arms swung him up with gigantic strength and set him upon his shoulders the people delighted with the dexterity and strength of the herculean man broke into a loud cheer and applauded the brewer whom all knew and who was a popular personage in the city but marat too the horse-doctor of the count d'ortois as he called himself derisively the doctor of poverty and misfortune as his flatterers termed him marat too was known to many in the throng and after santorine had been applauded they saluted marat with a loud vivant and with boisterous clapping of hands he turned his distorted ugly visage toward the tuileries whose massive proportions towered up above the lofty trees of the gardens and with a threatening gesture shook his fist at the royal palace have you heard it you proud gods of the earth have you heard the sacred thundering mutterings of majesty are you not startled from the sleep of your vice, and compelled to fall upon your knees and pray, as poor sinners do before their judgment? But no, you do not see and you do not hear. Your ears are deaf and your hearts are sealed. Behind the lofty walls of Versailles, which a most vicious king erected for his menu's pleasures, there you indulge in your lust, and shut out the voice of truth, "'which would speak to you here in Paris "'from the hallowed lips of the people. "'Long live Marat!' cried the cobbler Simon, "'who, drawn by the shouting, had left the Franciscan "'and joined the throng in whose midst stood Santorine, "'with Marat on his shoulders. "'Long live the great friend of the people! "'Long live Marat!' "'Long live Marat!' cried and muttered the people. "'Marat heals the people when the gentry have made them sick "'and taken the very morrow from their bones.' marat is no gentleman marat does not look down upon the people my friends i repeat to you what i said before shrieked marat did you ever hear of a wise man looking down upon a crowned prince and thinking more of the king who was old unnerved by his vices and blase you the people you are the crowned prince of france and if you at last in your righteousness and noble indignation tread the tyrant under your feet then the young prince the people will rule over france and the beautiful words of the bible will be fulfilled there shall be one fold and one shepherd i have taken this improvised throne on the shoulders of a noble citizen only to tell you of an impropriety which the queen of france has committed and of the new usurpation with which she treads our laws under her feet not tired out with opera-house balls and promenades by night I will read you the address which the king sent to Parliament today, and with which the hearing of the Cardinal de Rohan's case is to begin. Will the people hear it? Yes, we will hear it. Was the cry from all sides. Read us the address. Marat drew a dirty piece of paper from his pocket and began to read with a loud barking voice. Louis, by the grace of God, King of France and Navarre. To our dear and faithful counselors, members of the court of our parliament, greeting. It has come to our knowledge that parties named Beaumire and Bassinage have, without the knowledge of the queen, our much loved consort and spouse, sold a diamond necklace valued at one million six hundred thousand francs to Cardinal de Rohan, who stated to them that he was acting in the matter under the queen's instructions papers were laid before them which they considered as approved and subscribed by the queen after the said Beaumier and embassage had delivered the said necklace to the said cardinal and had not received the first payment they applied to the queen herself we have beheld not without righteous indignation the eminent name which in many ways is so dear to us lightly spoken of and denied the respect which is due to the royal majesty we have thought that it pertains to the jurisdiction of our court to give a hearing to the said cardinal and in view of the declaration which he has made before us that he was deceived by a woman named lamont Volley, and we have held it necessary to secure his person as well as that of madame volet in order to bring all the parties to light who have been the in- investigators or abettors of such a plot it is our will therefore that that matter come before the high court of parliament and that it be duly tried and judgment given there you have this fine message cried Marat. there you have the web of his which this austrian woman has woven around us for it is she who has sent this message to parliament you know well that we have no longer a king of france but that all france is only the trinon of the austrian it stands on all our houses written over all the doors of government buildings de reine, the austrian woman is the queen of france and the good-natured king only writes what she dictates to him she says in this paper that these precautions have been taken in order that she may learn who are the persons who have joined in the attack upon her distinguished and much-loved person who then is the abettor of madame Volley? who has received the diamonds from the cardinal through the instrumentality of madame volet i assert it is the queen who has done it she received the jewels and now she denies the whole story and now this woman the montvalet must draw the hot chestnuts out from the ashes you know this so it always is kings may go unpunished they always have a bête du souffrance which has to bear their burdens but now that a cardinal the grand Almoner of france is compelled to become the bte de Sor France for this austrian woman must show you my friends that her arrogance has reached its highest point she has trodden modesty and morals under foot and now she will tread the church under foot also be still was the cry on all sides the carbonaires and gendarmes are coming be still marat be still you must not be arrested we do not want all our friends to be taken to the bastille and really just at that instant at the entrance of the street that led to the square on the side of the tuileries appeared a division of cabineers advancing at great speed marat jumped down with the speed of a cat down from the huge form of the brewer the crowd opened and made way for him and before the cabineers had approached marat had disappeared with this day began the investigations respecting the necklace which messieurs beaumir and Bassinage had wanted to sell the queen through the agency of colonel rohan the latter was still a prisoner in the bastille he was treated with all the respect due to his rank he had a whole suit of apartments assigned to him he was allowed to retain the service of both his chamberlains and at times was permitted to see and converse with his relatives although it is true in the presence of the governor of the bastille but foulon was a very pious catholic and kept a respectful distance from the lord cardinal who never failed on such occasions to give him his blessing in the many hearings which the cardinal had to undergo the president of the committee of investigation treated him with extreme consideration and if the cardinal felt himself wearied the sitting was postponed till another day moreover at these hearings the defender of the cardinal could take part in order to summon those witnesses or accused persons who could contribute to the release of the cardinal and show that he had been the victim of a deeply laid plot and had committed no other wrong than that of being too zealous in the service of the queen news spread abroad of numerous arrests occurring in paris it had been known from the royal decree that countess lumont had likewise been arrested and imprisoned in the bastille but people were anxious to learn decisively whether count Cogliastro, the wonder doctor had been seized the story ran that a young woman in brussels who had been involved in the affair and who had an extraordinary resemblance to the queen marie antoinette had been arrested and brought to paris for confinement in the bastille all paris all france watched this contest with eager interest which after many months was still far from a conclusion and respecting which so much could be said the friends of the queen asserted that her majesty was completely innocent that she had never spoken to the countess le montevoli and only once through her chamberlain weber had never sent her any assistance but these friends of the queen were not numerous and their number diminished every day the king had seen the necessity of making great reductions in the cost of maintaining his establishment and in the government of the realm france had had during the last year's poor harvests the people were suffering from a want of the bare necessities of life the taxes could not be collected a reform must be introduced and those who before had rejoiced in the superfluity of royal gifts had to be contented with a diminution of them it had been the queen who allowed the tokens of royal favor to pour upon her friends her companions in trinon like a golden rain she had at the outset done this out of a hearty love for them it was so sweet to cause those to rejoice whom she loved so pleasant to see that charming smile upon the countenance of the duchess de polnyat that smile which only appeared when she had succeeded in making others happy for herself the duchess never asked a favor her royal friend could only after a long struggle and threatening her with her displeasure induce her to take the gifts which were offered out of a really loving heart but behind the duchess diana stood her brother and sister-in-law the duke and duchess de boulignac who were ambitious proud and avaricious behind the duchess diana stood the three favorites of the royal society in trinon lords varderle benzinval d'adamere who desired embassies, ministerial posts, orders, and other tokens of honor. Diana de Poulignac was the channel through whom all these addressed themselves to the Queen. She was the loved friend who asked whether the Queen could not grant their demands. Louis granted all the requests to the Queen, and Marie-Antoinette then went to her loved friend Diana, in order to gratify her wishes, to receive a kiss, and to be rewarded with a smile. The great noble family saw with envy and displeasure the supremacy of the Polnyaks and the favorites of Trinon. They withdrew from the court, gave the queen of Trinon over to her special friends and their citizen pleasures and sports, which, as they asserted, were not becoming to the great nobility. They gave the king over to his wife, who ruled through him, and who, in turn, was governed by the Polnyaks and the other favorites to them and to their friends belonged all places all honors to them all applied who wanted to gain anything for the court and even they who wanted to get justice done them around the royal pair there was nothing but intrigues cabals envy and hostility everyone wanted to be first in the favor of the queen in order to gain influence and consideration everyone wanted to cast suspicion on the one who was next to him in order to supplant him in the favor of marie antoinette the fair days of fortune and peace of which the queen dreamed in her charming country home thinking that her realizations were met when the sun had scarcely risen upon them were gone trinon was still there and the happy peasant girl of trinon had been unchanged in heart but those to whom she had given her heart those who had joined in her harmless amusement in her village there were changed They cast aside the idyllic mask with which the good-natured and confiding queen had deceived herself. They were no longer friends, no longer devoted servants. They were mere place-hunters, intriguers, flatterers, not acting out of love but out of selfishness. Yet the queen would not believe this. She continued to be the tender friend of her friends, trusted them, depended upon their love was happy in their neighborhood and let herself be led by them just as the king let himself be led by her they set ministers aside appointed new ones placed their favorites in places of power and drove their opponents into obscurity but there came a day when the queen began to see that she was not the ruler but the ruled when she saw that she was not acting out of her own will but was tyrannized over by those who had been made powerful through her favor i have been compelled to take part in political affairs said she because the king in his noble good-humored way has too little confidence in himself and out of his self-distrust lets himself be controlled by the opinions of others and so it is best that i should be his first confidant and that he should take me to be his chief adviser for his interests are mine and these children are mine and surely no one can speak more truly and honestly to the king of france than his queen his wife the mother of his children and so if the king is not perfectly independent and feels himself too weak to stand alone and independently to exert power he ought to rest on me i will bear a part in his government his business that at any rate they who control be not my opponents my enemies for a while she yielded to her friends and favorites who wanted to stand in the same relation to the queen that she did to the king she yielded not like louis from weakness but from the very power of her love for them she yielded at the time when diana de Pognac, urged by her brother-in-law Pognac, and by lord benzival conjured the queen to nominate lord Colonne to be general comptroller of the finances she yielded and Colonne, the flatterer the courtier of Polignac, received the important appointment although marie antoinette experienced twinges of conscience for it and did not trust the man whom she herself advanced to this high place public opinion meanwhile gave out that lord Colonne was a favorite of the queen and while she bore him no special favor and considered his appointment as a misfortune to france she who herself promoted him became the object of public indignation meanwhile the nomination of lord colonne was to be productive of real good it gave rise to the publication of a host of libels and pamphlets which discussed the financial condition of France and, in biting and scornful words, in the language of sadness and despair, developed the need and the misfortune of the land. The king gave the chief minister of police strict injunctions to send him all these ephemeral publications. He wanted to read them all, wanted to find the kernel of wheat which each contained, and, from his enemies, who assuredly would not flatter, he wanted to learn how to be a good king and the first of his cares he saw to be a frugal king and to limit his household expenses this time he acted independently he asked no one's counsel not even the queen's as his own unconstrained act he ordered a diminution of the court luxury and a limitation of the great pensions which were paid to favourites the great stable of the king must be reduced the chief directorship of the post bureau must be abolished the high salary of the governess of the royal children as well as that of the maid of honour of madame elizabeth sister of the king must be reduced and who were the ones affected by this chiefly the polignac family the duc de polignac was director of the royal meuse and next to him the duc de cognac the duc de polignac was also chief director of the post department his wife diana de Pognac, was also maid of honor to madame elizabeth and julia de Pognac was governess of the children of france they would not believe it they held it impossible that so unheard-of a thing should happen that their income should be reduced the whole circle of intimate friends resorted to trinon to have an interview with the queen to receive from her the assurance that she would not tolerate such a robbing of her friends and that she would induce the king to take back his commands. The queen, however, for the first time, made a stand against her friends. "'It is the will of the king,' said she, "'and I am too happy that the king has a will to dare opposing it. May the king reign. It is his duty and his right, as it is the duty and right of all his subjects to conform to his wish and be subject to his will.' "'But!' cried Lord Benzival. It is horrible to live in a country where one is not sure, but he may lose to-morrow what he holds to-day. Down to this time, that has always been the Turkish fashion. The queen trembled, and raised her great eyes with a look full of astonishment and pain to Benzival, then to the other friends. She read upon all faces alienation and unkindly feeling. The mask of devoted courtiers and true servants had for the first time fallen from their faces and marie antoinette discovered these all at once wholly estranged and unknown countenances eyes without the beam of friendship lips without the smile of devotion the queen sought to put her hand to her heart it seemed to her as if she had been wounded with a dagger she felt as if she must cry aloud with pain and grief but she commanded herself and only gave utterance to a faint sigh "'You are not the only ones who will lose, my friends,' she said gently. "'The king is a loser, too, for if he gives up the great stables, "'he sacrifices to the common good his horses, his equipages, and above all his true servants. "'We must all learn to put up with limitations and a reduction of outlay. "'But we can still remain good friends, and here in Trinon pass many pleasant days "'with one another in harmless gaiety and happy contentment.' come my friends let us forget these cares and these constraints let us despite all these things be merry and glad duke de Corny, you have been for a week my debtor in billiards to-day you must make it up come my friends let us go into the billiard room and the queen who had found her gaiety again went laughing in advance of her friends into the next apartment where the billiard table stood she took up her cue and brandishing it like a sceptre cried now my friends away with care she ceased for as she looked around her she saw that her friends had not obeyed her call only the duc de cogners whom she had specifically summoned had followed the queen into the billiard-room a flash of anger shot from the eyes of the queen how cried she aloud did my companions not hear that i commanded them to follow me hither your majesty answered the duc de cogners peevishly the ladies and gentlemen have probably recalled the fact that your majesty once made it a rule here in trinon that every one should do as he pleases and your majesty sees that they hold more strictly to the laws than others do my lord sighed the queen do you bring reproaches against me too are you also discontented "'And why should I be contented, your majesty?' asked the duke with choler. "'I am deprived of a post which hitherto has been held for life, "'and does your majesty desire that I should be contented? "'No, I am not contented. "'No, I do as the others do. "'I am full of anger and pain to see that nothing is secure more, "'that nothing is stable more, that one can rely upon nothing more, "'not even upon the word of kings.' "'My Lord Duke!' cried Marie Antoinette, with flashing anger. "'You go too far. You forget that you are speaking to your queen.' "'Madame!' cried he, still louder. "'Here, in Trinon, there is no queen. There are no subjects. "'You yourself have said it, and I at least will hold to your words, "'even if you yourself do not. "'Let us play billiards, madame. I am at your service.' And while the Duc de Cony said this, he seized with an angry movement the billiard cue of the Queen. It was a present which Marie Antoinette had received from her brother, the Emperor Joseph. It was made of a single rhinoceros skin and was adorned with golden knobs. The King had a great regard for it, and no one before had ever ventured to use it excepting her alone. "Give it to me," Cony," said she earnestly. "You deceive yourself. That is not your billiard cue. That is mine." madame cried he angrily what is mine is taken from me and why should i not take what is not mine it seems as if this were the latest fashion to do what one pleases with the property of others i shall hasten to have a share in this fashion even were it only to show that i have learned something from your majesty let us begin trembling with anger and excitement he took two balls laid them in the middle of the table and gave the stroke but it was so passionately given, and in such rage that the cube glided by the balls and struck so strongly against the raised rim of the table that it broke. The Queen uttered an exclamation of indignation, and, raising the hand, pointed with a commanding gesture to the door. My Lord Duke de Corny, she said proudly, I release you from the duty of ever coming again to Trinon. You are dismissed. The Duke trembling with anger muttering a few unintelligible words made a slight careless obeisance to the queen and left the billiard hall with a quick step marie antoinette looked after him with a long and pained look then with a deep sigh she took up the bits of the broken queue and went into her little porcelain cabinet in order to gain rest and self-command in solitude and stillness reaching that place and now sure that no one could observe her. Marie Antoinette sank with a deep sigh into the armchair, and the long, restrained tears started from her eyes. "'Oh!' sighed she sadly. "'They will destroy everything I have—everything! My confidence, my spirit, my heart itself! They will leave me nothing but pain and misfortune—' and not one of them whom i till now have held to be my friends will share it with me chapter five recording by maggie travers